Hi, I'm Faith Soteri. Welcome to episode two of the Calibre podcast as presented by Watchers of Switzerland. We have a great guest joining us, George Bamford, founder of Bamford Watch Department. I'm now going to hand over to our CEO, Brian Duffy, who will be interviewing George for you today. Hello, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining our, uh, our podcast. This is uh, this will be the latest in a series of podcasts that we're bringing you from Watchers of Switzerland. My name is Brian Duffy. I'm the CEO of the Watchers of Switzerland group. Uh, really privileged, privileged and delighted today to be joined by George Bamford. Uh, George is very, very well known in the world of watches uh, as a, a, a customizer uh, originally, uh, as a collector, and, uh, and as a, a, a collaborator now with some of the, the world's major brands. And he's interested in all sorts of beautiful things, not just watches that I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through, but delighted that you could join us, George. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. It's such a treat. Thank Great. you so much. Uh, very much, uh, very much our pleasure. So I've done a bit of research on you, of course, and oh, no. uh, uh, there's a lot of it around, <laughs> but it's very, very clear that when, uh, when you look at what's written about you and what you've said uh, about your story too, you've, you've clearly had a fascination with mechanical engineering from a young age, and, and I think a really great uh, appreciation of beautiful shapes. Is that fair? Yeah, that really is. I, I love mechanical pieces and I, I probably the curiosity of mind to um, basically take things to bits. Um, and then rebuild it. So that's kind of how, how my life started on watches. Which, which we'll talk about. Yeah. You famously yeah. did that with the, with the Breitling that your yes. parents bought you as an 11-year-old. I, I couldn't really resonate with that story. First of all, as an 11-year-old, my parents were never going to buy me a Breitling for sure, and if they did, I was never going to take it apart. But uh, in my Timex, I've made sure, was uh, uh, kept in full working order. But before we talk about watches, you clearly have a, a wonderful appreciation and a, a collection of beautiful cars. Yes, I, I love I love cars. I, look, I, I love anything that is to do with um, the delight of the mind. Um, and I know that sounds strange, but you know, even I've, I've just been in Japan and I, I know, explored different places in, in Japan, different stores. And for me, it was just it was the delight of the mind. And I think that's where cars for me have always been that idea of actually someone came up with the idea of creating something that we move fast in. And, you know, you think of Henry Ford and you think of what he's done and, and then, you know, all the different designers and all the different ideas and you just go, wow, cars are, are just magical. And the engine and how cool that heart beats. And it's the same with the watch, the heart beats. And that's something I, I really love. And, you know, it's, it's nice to kind of love cars. And, and, I, and I think like watches, the functionality that the... Uh the engineering that's uh, that's all amazing to us, but then the lines, the artistic, the aesthetic of uh, the of cars. I, one of the things I, I saw in your videos actually was uh, was you presenting. Uh, I think one of your favourite cars, if I'm not mistaken, the Ferrari 275 uh, GTB. Yes, it it uh, it's been a labour of love. Um, it's been ten years of rebuilding it. Um, it was a tangerine orange, and it was kind of falling to bits and. Um, and each time, each year, when I'd have raised a little bit of money, I was like, okay, I'll send it off for this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And my last thing is the interior, and it's all kind of frayed, and it's all falling into bits. And, and the reason why I love it so much, and I'm not going to do the interior, is because I, I love that each bit of the fraying I've now caused. So I drive it a lot and I just love that, you know, the shoulder actually on my shoulder of my, and I remember the jacket I wore and it kind of, 
it, it, and I just love that kind of the love that you put into something yep. and, and you go oh I know this I know I know how to start it up and I know how the feeling of it is and the lines are so beautiful on the 275 and, and I just it was a treat when I brought it it wasn't worth a fortune um, but it was one of those things where I just kind of loved having something like that I think it's really interesting you saying that that dilemma that you have with vintage things, anybody has with vintage things, you want to keep them all original, mm-hmm. but sometimes you, you, you've got to be tempted to uh, uh, to update them. I, I personally collect guitars, oh. and I, I get a beautiful 1972 Walnut Gibson uh, 335. Uh, it's all original, including the machine heads. Oh, wow. Uh, and I love the fact that it's original, uh, but it's always out of tune. Because the machine head, <laughs> the machine heads just simply don't work that well anymore. And uh, my guitar guy that looks after things has said he could replace them; they would look identical, but they'd be brand new, and it would always be in tune. And, I, and it's, I play the guitar, so I play this one, and it's like, what's the point of having an out of tune beautiful guitar? Yeah, but there's something quite wonderful because yeah. you know the time when you brought it, what you did, and and, yeah. and why you brought it, and 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 sometimes I, I you know. Um, there's this kind of wave that car drivers do in vintage cars when you know that one every once out of every seven times it's going to break down on you and so there's this kind of wave and nod that you every other car vintage driver on the road goes yeah i know you're going to go into some kind of um, problem yeah. and for me that's the great thing is that you you kind of have an adventure with an adventure you know the, the my ferrari and it was very, I was very, it was wonderful, but I, I got stuck on the um, road outside uh, Booper on the Cromwell Road. Right. Uh, and it overheated, everything was flying out, muck was on the road. It was one of the worst disasters. And these guys turned up in a Fiat Cinquecento behind me, and they were all Italian guys. And I was trying to push it along the road. My wife was trying to yep. steer it. And these, all these guys jumped out, helped push me along the road. And it was just like, there was a delight. And, they, and I said, thank you so much. You know, and, and they said they loved the idea of this old car breaking down and, and all of them coming on. And it was that love for the car. And I thought that was really, really nice. Yeah. I wonder if they would have done it if it was an old Jaguar or a Bentley. I, I don't know. We'd probably have some English guys, or probably me jumping out of a car. Yeah. You know, I, I think that engineering is is such a feat and such an amazing thing. And you think about all these businesses that have started from small acorns to create something so phenomenal. Yeah. And you know, you think about like the two seven five, those that you know the cars in Ferrari were always there to help them with uh, Formula One. It, you know, and racing. It wasn't, hey. It was to sell to 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 fund their racing, yeah, and that's yeah. what I love. Angel Ferrari was was yeah. a, a race uh, a racing driver yeah. and and the head of the team before it was a manufacturing car. Uh, and I just love that story. Yeah, I just, uh, and uh, you know it was, it was uh, my my father was very lucky back in the day. He he used to um, go and meet him because my father's collected wow. cars. Um, and anyway, he, they called him a stupid uh, stupid Brit, I think it was, or a, a stupid Englishman yeah. coming over and, and coming and picking up parts of cars. Yeah. Um, and I just love that because you kind of think that they didn't really care. He didn't care about the last one. He always cared about the next one. Right. And that was what I, I loved. And you know, I think you never look at the last chapter. You always look at the next chapter. Yep, yep, no, very much so. I mean, people have hopefully tuned in to hear about watches, and we're going to get on sorry, to them. Sorry, oh, it's we my were... fault. We're going to go on to them in just a minute. Just my last observation about cars and Ferrari is 
when I saw you, you know, pull the uh, cover back and show your, your Ferrari 275, yeah. I was shocked to see it was black. And I think the reason I was shocked by it is the only other times anybody presented a, a vintage Ferrari to me was Ralph Lauren. I used to be the president of Ralph Lauren for Europe and I visited him in his, uh, his house in Montauk and he had this garage. Wow. He's now moved them all to a custom-built one in, uh, in Connecticut, but he had them anyway in this garage, and he opened the garage door and it was all these Ferraris, but they were all red. And uh, his wow. feeling was a, a Ferrari had to be red, which uh, I've got some sympathy with. I, I probably, I should agree, and I should say that they should all be red, but I, I don't know. I just think that when you look at some of the cars, what they used to race in, um, you know, Ferrari had multiple, multiple colours, and I, 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 I don't know. I think in in this world that we live in, individuality is something sure. special. And you know, when you look at the watches that are are around us, we all have decisions to make. And I think that's where, when you're looking at um, Ferraris coming out only in red, you become almost a a, a, a sheep of everyone else. Mm. And I think that's something where I look at and go, well that's why my business works yeah no, no, absolutely and just just to segue on the topic of a uh, of color you you do seem to have a preference for black and a lot of what you do in it and then black with a complement of blue and and i think in your original customizations that you were doing that you you became very uh, well known for am i right in thinking that was a that was a focus of a lot of it from um, a color standpoint yeah well you think about 40 um about x amount of years ago um, I there was thing. It was all about bling, and what I did was I I saw uh, I saw black as the reverse of bling. Right. Um, and it's nothing new. I mean, black. You know, you think about the original Monza. They were done in black. The the Porsche design watches. Um, they were black. Yep. There was there was so black was never this kind of. I didn't kind of go. Oh my god! I came up with the idea of doing this because right. they they've done it. But what I did was I I, uh, I thought to myself is I love how black changes changes the property of of a of of a watch, but also adds some kind of quality into it and. Um, and so it was just one of those amazing things of when I realized that I love black. I also think I'm, I'm probably, I've got a mini goth person in me, um, but uh, no, actually for me, I always wear black or dark, dark blue because I, I look skinnier in it. That's, that's kind well, of the right. honest. Uh, um, and I love blue because I just think that blue is just a wonderful color and it, it's a good contrast to black. Where you know I could have chosen an iconic black and yellow uh, yep. or black and red, but I, I, when I, it took me a year to find our blue, that's a bit of an aqua blue or a powder blue, because for me that was one of my kind of ideas of trying to find something that popped off the popped off the um, dial in the right way. Yeah, I think blue and black really works, and and it watches and your blue that you've been using really is a, is beautiful, and you think of the Rolex GMT. Yeah. The blue and black bezel it really seems to work in watches. Definitely. So always a debate in men's fashion whether you should be wearing black shoes with a with a navy suit or not. I I don't know I, I do and then it's also someone says that you shouldn't wear brown with with the um, black and you shouldn't be yeah. and and I think to myself is if it's individual to you I think that there should never be a rule. No, um, it feels right. What feels right? You know, you yep. think about um, Ralph Rendes. You know when. It was the most beautiful suit, but then there would be an amazing tie or or something that would just be that twist that you'd go, oh my God, I want that. Yep. 
and it was almost like I got I wanted to steal it, yep. and that and that's that Ralph Ron Ralph Ren vibe, and even on the interiors. I mean, when he did did all the interior, it was just amazing because you were like, I want to live in this space, and and you know I want to wear that suit or I want to wear that grey, and it was just it was kind of English tailoring, but done in such a beautiful way that that you wanted it, and I think that's where we all have our own style to kind yep. of you know. I don't know. I, I always love when someone's wearing a pair of trainers, um, you know, in a smart environment because I always think, well, that's them. Yep. No, no, I'm with you too. It's got to, it's got to feel comfortable. It's, uh, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be what works for you. But we must yeah. talk about watches. Okay. We could, we could go on about many other things. I'm, uh, I'm sure. So, when your story in, uh, in watches uh, uh, started as a, an 11 year old when you were given this this Navi timer for your Christmas. Yes, there is a reason why, and um, I've also got to say, as I found out how much it cost my parents, it was one hundred and twenty-five pounds. Wow. So, they, and the reason why was because I kept on taking the juicer, the TV, the VCR at the time. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I took to bits, and I used to get up early in the morning and go down and try and change the motor on the juicer. And or there would be a something in there. There'd be a magic mixer, and literally I'd take off the restrictor, so then it would go faster because mm-hmm. I thought it should go faster. Or the juicer, you'd put an orange on it, and it would fly straight off because I'd I'd made it so fast that mm-hmm. it. And my parents' house was kind of um, slightly falling to bits because I would be taking things to bits. Um, and I used to always build kind of like contraptions in my room and things like that. And. I think my parents thought the best way of shutting you up and also stopping you destroying our house was to kind of see if I could look at a watch. And so they brought me an avatar. And the first watch I ever had was a um, Hoyer Formula One with the luminous dial. And, and that was my first ever watch. Um, and that went to an ex-girlfriend. I haven't got it back. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> if she's out there now, you could... Uh... I, I, I could ask for it back. <laughs> I, 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 I have actually asked for it back, but it's not coming. I'm uh, sure she's had it on eBay a few times. Yeah, I, th- I, th- watch, I, I, I think it's gone. But yeah. um, but the Navitimer, basically, I I was given it for Christmas, and it was one of the most amazing things because it was that idea of how how does this work? And all I had was a pen knife and a glasses screwdriver. <laughs> I didn't have Amazon. I didn't have anything to buy. And, you know, this was, I was 11. I mean, yep. it was like, and literally there, um, taking it about to bits. Now, Breitling have been wonderful to me because it's gone back to Breitling about seven or eight times. Still, it's gone back to Breitling recently because I took it to bits again myself and I popped the glass again. And so I used to sh- shatter the glass because it was this domed, yeah, beautiful domed glass on the Navitimer. And for me, the Navitimer was such a beautiful with the edging and just how that dial is. And there was just something about it. And, I, and every time I took it to bits, something wouldn't work. But then I'd put it back together and I'd go, OK, what doesn't work? How can I f- solve this? What can I do? And uh, so that was kind of my love on the Brightly Navitimer. And then I went to flea markets and learned about different watches and how I could take them to bits. And um, Breitling, obviously a wonderful brand, going through a lot of changes now, yes. which, are, which I'm sure you're watching with great interest. The new Navitimer, Navitimer 8, is that something that uh, tickles I, your fancy? Do you, know, do you know, I think that what um, Mr. Kern is doing, I, th- I, I, I really look on and go, wow, um, you know, this is a brand that 
hasn't launched launched but hasn't launched a brand new watch for a long period of time to for that Navitimer 8 to come out um, and I saw it on someone's wrist um, uh, over the weekend and I, I I wanted to steal it off his wrist um, and I know this sounds strange I wanted to steal it and everyone goes what you want to steal a watch it's in my my heart is if I'm still thinking about it the next day it means that there's something that's yep flipped that switch and gone that's an amazing piece yep. um, and I just think the bezel how, how they've done the dial I think there is some amazing things even with the glass the designer has has really pulled from the past to create something new and I I think it's a it's a market that you know yes we've now the time is done but it's not done yep. and here's here's the new kind of world of it and that's what I think is amazing and I, I'm sure for you it's an amazing seller but it's 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 yeah. a great product. Yeah, Navitimer 8's become a, a really a great seller for us. Brightly Gulls has done well in the, the UK market. We're now in the US as well. Mm-hmm. It's very popular there too. It really, I think it really appeals to the UK psyche. It's a, it's a functional uh, sports watch. Uh, you mentioned black and blue earlier. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, predominantly with, uh, with Brightly, you think of the black dials. Yeah. Interestingly, we, we track the, uh, the market overall for like dial color, yeah. dial size. Uh, price points and various other attributes, and 43% of men's watches in the UK are black dial. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And in the UK, we love black yeah. dials, we love sport watches. Fastest growing colour is uh, is blue. But I'm not surprised, you know, because I think that, you know, when certain watches have come out and really pushed that boundary, yep. I mean, you, you think about Hudinki with the sk- skipper that came through with Royer. Um, and then they also did the Zenith Heritage 146. And, and you know, they were there was a blue dial, and then the Skipper one was amazing with that blue. with the, uh, And it kind of pushed pushed the, the market and changed the market. And then Omega with its Speedy Tuesdays, yes. and, uh, you know, that black dial with a white accent. There's just some things that have really changed how the market sees itself. And, and what you're saying about black dials and blue dials, I can, you know, you can see it from the, from even from like, you know, looking at some of the sneaker trends and some of that, right. it's coming through as, as a special color. Yep. And I also noticed in your collection, you've, uh, uh, you did buy a, a, a vintage Royal Oak and then I read and I was amazed to read, you actually met Gerald Genta. Yes. Oh my God, that was that was the most amazing person to meet. I mean, um, and I've I've got I've, I'm a bit of a memorabilia person, so I, I've kind of got loads of stuff. But Gerald Genta signed a book to me, and it was just and it's something about being the curious mind. And him and I waxed lyrical for for best part of a day or so, and it was just an amazing meeting in London. Um, and it, it, I was, I was saddened um, to hear when when he passed away. But what an amazing person! I mean, what yeah. he did from the IWC engineer. Yep. I mean, you know all of the watches, but Royal Oak, Nautilus. You know Nautilus. But you look at all the watches he's designed, and you think, wow. Yep. And then when he goes through and he's showing you on the sketches, this is oh, this, wow. this is this, this is this. I was like, I. I it was it was like the the kid in the candy store you know my mind had just been blown up and put back together and it was and he said oh you know I, this was from this and this was from this and and you know if you go into monaco and you see the manhole cover it looks like this and i was just like 
Yeah. Wow. And he said, you know, the world, you've got to look at the world and be inspired by the world. Yep. And, you know, now it's something that I love doing is like even walking from my office back home. I think that the day couldn't be any better because you see different things in Inspire from colors to, to different um, designs, you know, textures. And, different yep. things like that. and it's amazing. We did, we did a previous podcast talking about the, the history of Swiss watches and, you know, get back and talking about people in centuries gone by, starting with John Calvin, yeah. who, was, who had nothing to do with watches either, either, other than creating the uh, uh, indirectly the guild in, uh, uh, in Geneva. But you do talk about when, when Audemars met Piguet and when uh, Jean-Adrien Philippe uh, met wow. with Patek and so on. Um, but uh, you don't talk about, uh, being other than the obvious, the Hans Wilsdorf and so on of the 20th century, you don't tend to talk about recent personalities in, in design with the exception of uh, of Gerald Genta. And, and for the folks that are listening, that he, he's been the most influential designer in the world of uh, of contemporary watches. There's, he, you, you're totally right. He he really has. He Every iconic, most most of the iconic watches were, were designed by him. There is, I would say to you, is there's probably one or two others, ultimate designers there that, you know, have helped relaunch. Um, different brands um, but there is another person that is the biggest maverick and that's of course Jean-Claude Beaver um, because of what he's done in, in the brands that he you know I just read his book again last night it's a it's a it's an interesting story of which brands he went into how and their success afterwards has just been absolutely phenomenal and that is someone else that's an amazing person that has moved the watch world and Gerald Genta moved the watch world you know, he said to me um, about the Royal Oak that he didn't think that they didn't think that that shape would work. Yeah, and I'm sure you you've heard this story tons of times, but it was almost like we'll only produce X amount of them because we don't know if it will work. Yeah, I'm just I love that. It's just you know now this has become the powerhouse of AP. Yes, sure. And uh, 1972, yeah. I think, is when he designed it. And uh, and and there's such a demand today for for Audemars Piguet, but in many ways it's a bit bigger than it was then. But yeah. other than that, it really hasn't changed significantly. And I know he didn't like uh, the, the offshore when it was done because he felt it was too big. And he didn't tell me that. But uh, yeah. look, I, I was very lucky to have audience with him for yeah. for I would say a, a long time in my my life. And what I mean is a day. I was just like this was one of those days that could have gone on for about seven yeah. weeks it was amazing i'm sure for him it was a very short day and and hey you're out of here but it was amazing to meet oh, him i'm sure he'd have been delighted to uh, to meet you and somebody as passionate about his uh, his products as uh, as you are i'm glad you mentioned that jean-claude Biver because I, I totally agree he's probably been the biggest single influence in the world of watches and over this last 20 or 30 years and the brands that he's resurrected or created from Blancpain through to uh, uh, Hublot and Tag and, yeah. uh, and Zenith and, and the character and charisma and energy and passion that he's shown he's, he's really been an inspiration for uh, I think just about everybody in the industry really has and, and I'm lucky I'm lucky to know him um, I'm sure that we both are lucky to know him and just you know he is someone that I believe that I'm quite fit I believe that I'm quite uh, energetic and he makes me look like I'm, I'm a grandpa, and that's the most amazing thing: is his energy, his enthusiasm, his design, his 
and it go it's just amazing to have, to have someone like that in my life and someone that's inspired me yep i'm i'm a completely with you and that and yet with a great humility oh. and uh, always get time to to chat and uh, and so on so uh, quite a unique character and of course it's i'm, I'm sure it's with jean claude that you developed a lot of your recent uh, collaborations with zenith and now yeah. with now with tag yes yeah, so, uh, so um he always said uh, so he came and saw me about uh, three years ago uh no four years ago um and said you should you should come and work with us we uh, we we really want you to um, come and um, f- feel loved, and that was the great thing. And for me, I you know I really am pleased where where we are. You know, to, I know this this sounds strange, but when you and I met each other for the second time, that was at Basel, mm. um, and I'd just launched this watch. For me, that was like I can't believe at Basel I launched a watch, um, and you know. Yes, the success it's got has been amazing, but standing on stage with Jean-Claude and then having supper, and we we were talking about, I think it was an American dealer supper. And, it was, yeah. And it was just so wonderful to be there with Tag Heuer that I've just developed, you know, a carbon Monaco with them. And not me developing. They've they've taken my idea and made it into a watch. Yep. That, that was the cool thing. Yep. You know, I said to them the wish of all the watches I wanted in the world, and Jean Claude said, "No, no, we'd do it." And we talked about it the Basel before. Right. So I went to see him at the Basel before, and and he he went, and I said, and I came with A B C D maybe F and G um, that was like literally G was put my name on a, a dial, and and that would be a good project. This. This was project A, and literally we got to I think it was A A right at the end of A, and he just went no no we're doing this yeah and it was that whole thing of what would be my ultimate watch yeah and and they did it and I was like and then launching it the next year to get something produced in one year the engineering team and how they did it and what they did I was just it was amazing yeah and I, I, that's as we're saying that's Joe Glaude oh if he sees it he likes it his instinct is so great and then he makes things happen and uh, I, I'll say quite honestly I think it was you know one of the uh, one of the talk of the town at, uh, at Basel was uh, was your your, your black face and um, Monaco I personally love it uh, I think the, the Monaco is always an iconic watch, but uh, the colour was was never the appeal to me. But I think I think your watch is is uh, very cool and very modern, and uh, was a great collaboration. Well, it's one of I, I think for me the Monaco is one of my earliest memories. Memories of a watch was Steve McQueen at Le Mans, right? And sitting in the crux of my father's shoulder, and you know I'm sure I've said this a few times, but I saw that Steve McQueen iconic with just those white subdials and I never knew what it was but it was the square television yeah. look to it and it and that I think was the imprint of the Monaco and why the blue subdials why they illuminate white at night is because of that nod back to yeah. the original I'm so pleased you like it I, I mean it, it's one of those things that you know when you when you do something and you hope that uh, you know, is everyone kind of liking what I do? And and this, I, I was really, really blown away. 
to the point that I stole it off off the uh, off the stand. Um, oh, right. uh, literally, it was my pockets. So. Ah, it's been a common theme. You nicking. Yeah, no, nice. I don't nick them, but it was just more this thing of like uh, I, I I would say to you is it was they said to me said um, we've only got four prototypes, and I said well perfect. Um, I'll no, you get three. I I said I'll keep this in England um, for any press. Uh, photo shoots and they went oh uh, okay and literally I was kind of I walked off and it was one of those it was a delight to have you know have something that was amazing and, and just going oh my god we've done this we've done the design with that carbon case the lightweight of it and just you know things that they said that they couldn't do like putting a Hoya on the crown in aqua blue mm. I saw it and when I was at Basel I I almost fell over because I I wasn't expecting the level what was happening how it was happening, um, and then um, I know I keep on talking about taking something to bits, but uh, I was with our watchmakers and we would take we took the back off and we took the watch to bits to see how it was made and it's like this wonderful inf- interskeleton of of steel with carbon ex- exoskeleton, and just to think that they've done it in one year, and it was less than one year really. Yep. No, no, amazing. And again, as we're saying, I think it takes someone like John Claude to be inspired by you to, to make something like that happen. Am I right in thinking you've got a, a particular weakness for chronographs? Um, I do love chronographs. I think that um, I love the function of chronographs, but I never use them. I know that sounds strange. I love I love the three the three crown uh, idea. Um, or the pushes in the crown. I I think there's just something very cool. But do I time anything on it? No. No. Uh, honestly, you know, I think my iPhone is the best timer I've got. But I do love the idea that I can time a race. But actually, I probably would never know how fast I was going or any of those yeah. type of things. But I just I think the function of the dial. You know, from even I I, I the Portuguese from IWC. You know that when that when that came out. The second time it came out with the the black and white sub dial, that was an amazing piece. Or, yes, of course the Navitimer. I mean, if you look through some of the great chronograph watches, I, you know, I can mention the, the um, Zenith El Primero, um, just an amazing chronograph movement. To um, I'm just thinking of um, uh, like even um, there's when um, Panerai did a flyback version, and I, there was a few watches that you just go. Wow, and how they redid that dial to give something different, and how the movement related to that. I thought that was absolutely amazing, and and you know that's why, you know, of course I'm mentioning the um, IWC or the Navitime because you look at how someone's using it for another function. I mean, there is also things like the yacht timers, um, and you know, I I've just brought something that is called a Solnar that's an old uh, Hoya watch and then they did something called um, uh, uh, Marographs and it's even got a chrono function but it's even got another little um, button on the back and things like that you just look at and you go God, someone was crazy designing this but they're so cool and the colours and the dial design and I think that's why I love chronographs quite a lot because you look at the different colours and the different dial design and then you look at how, how they've layered numbers in different different ways mm. it's just beautiful yeah and uh, as you say I think most people with a chronograph have probably never timed anything but 
the aesthetic of it too. So on Moto, we think back to Daytona, we think yeah. to Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Yeah. And then you hear the stories of the chronographs, so you go back to TAG, or, yeah. or however as it was then, kind of creating yeah. them for uh, for measuring, uh, again, the uh, car speeds and, uh, and so on. There's such kind of a rich emotion and history associated with them. Well, I've, I've got a um, big collection, um, and it sounds strange that I collect things, but I am a magpie. I love, I love understanding. And anyway, I've got a big collection of um, rally timers and different sports timers right. um, from Hoyer, Omega, Zenith, uh, Jaeger, um, and I've been building up. Um, and when you go up to our watchmakers' den or their their design uh, up on the top floor of our office, I've got wrapping around the wall every type of um, uh, timer and I just love the idea of the timers and what they were there designed to do you know like the Omega Olympic timers yep. and, and the, the Hoyer timers for, for rallying I, I've even got a dashboard of an old Aston Martin that has the rally timer set into it and then there's a photographer had his had a photographer's board and he's got two timers to time different exposures and you just go, how cool yep. that people used it in that way. They didn't use phones. They used it to actually say, this is precise. And that's why I kind of collected it. I got given a um, one year uh, a yacht timer, um, and it was a Hoyer one. It was a crazy pink, blue, yellow for, for, the law, for when you started. Yep. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then I literally delved into eBay for about four or five days just exploring different um, timers and, and now I probably got quite a lot because I just love how it's put together and how the dials are and, and even the functionality of them it's just cool yeah. I think that relates to the watch as well and how, how they just you know these were instruments for a precise point and I think now it's kind of they are things that we put on our wrist to say either it's for me or it's to show off to people around us but for me I think it's about me I think you know if I put a watch on or if you put a watch on it's about the watch that you want to wear for yourself yes and I think that's the cool thing yes no no definitely I mean I've got a yacht master yeah never been to a yachting regatta in, a, <laughs> in my life but whatever I do I'll be ready to time before that that of 10 course. seconds uh, uh, before the goal and um, obviously a lot of the, the, the industry goes from strength to strength, uh, Swiss watches, luxury watches, uh, uh, you know, the market gets bigger and bigger and more and more innovative things getting done. And what, where do you think we're headed in the, in the world of luxury watches? I think education has happened. Um, I used to kind of sing this word of personalization, but honestly, I don't think, I think personalization is not a buzzword anymore. I think people like um, straps they like to they like something that becomes theirs you know the amount of strap companies that have opened up the amount of things that have kind of said this is where um, you have your own taste it's it's now not one of uh, one of a thousand or one of a, a million it's one of one yeah. and it's mine and and that's I think the great thing is people are now realizing that mass market luxury is almost becoming luxury of, of the individual and that's things you know what what you're doing when you walk into your shop how you give that personal touch the person you walk in and you go wow I, I, I feel I feel I, I don't feel like an outcast I don't feel like I need you know when we were talking about tourbillons 
you know, the people down there, and I'm, I, you know, I know your shop's below me, so that's the great thing I can say, but they explain it in such a simple, wonderful way that doesn't make me feel like a buffoon. You know, or can I ask you a question about that? And I think that's, I think that's the the difference that's happening is, you know, why why is why are you excelling is because of how you're you're caring about the individual, the person, and saying we're going to give the personal service. And I think that's the person comes through on everything. And I think that's the future. I think this personal side. And you know, it, it's um, it's a bizarre scenario as everyone keeps on talking about the internet taking over and sales on the internet, but. I, I was with my wife last night and we were, we, were, we were at a supermarket and my wife always buys from um, a very, very good online chain of, um, of food. Um, anyway, we were at the supermarket and she, she went, oh my God, I haven't seen this before. I haven't seen this and I haven't mm. discovered. And I think what's happened is the internet has shut us down in some ways to discovering other things. And I think that's where the personal touch of when we're going into a store is is now becoming that thing of wow I love that but you've got it in a green dial or you've got it you know like you look at Omega and the different watches it's got and and you go oh my god there's a Speedmaster and it looks like this and it's got these touches or the Navitimer 8 as we were talking about honestly I've seen it on the internet x amount of times but when you see it in in the flesh you go and you see it on someone else's wrist you go wow that's amazing I think that's the the change um I you know I do believe that I'm sure when you were saying about watches early on, watches, you would always have one. And now people are having more and more. And I think that's been an interesting thing because of social media. You know, people are now, you know, every time they put up a watch, it gets less and less likes. Mm. So they're having to put a new one. Or if they want to be in that way way of, of that, you know, saying, hey, this is my watch. Where for me, I kind of, I love that on my wrist. So I think the future is kind of, Uncertain, but I think it's a really good place because I think internet is one side, but then I also think the bricks and mortar has to be better and better and better, and that's what you're doing, you know, delivering that personal touch. Well, thank you very much for your comments and, uh, and your experience going to our stores, and it is very much what we strive to do, that we're, we're there to help, we're there to assist. Uh, we're, we're not just there to, to out-and-out-sell, but and actually what we're finding is that the... The combination of the internet and our stores is really a dynamic combination because people are doing research to some extent, so they've got a good idea of the background to some brands and you know the price points and so on, and then they'll come in with that confidence and then they'll engage with the salespeople, take it to the next level, and ultimately we find until you put a watch on your wrist that um, you really don't know if it's a watch for you until you until you try it on. So. We're actually finding the whole development of digital and online to be very, very conducive to, to developing the business. I'll throw out another stat. Uh, actually, the, um, our research shows that uh, anybody who has a luxury watch, 45% of people have bought more than one. It so, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and, and it just tells you it's not about telling the time because no. you certainly don't not be any more accurate because you've got two. Yeah. But, it's, uh, but they are just beautiful things to have and, they, and, uh, and collect. So George, we uh, did have a couple of questions sent in for, from uh, from some listeners, and the first one was, you know, what you would advise as the best uh, watch uh, with a budget of uh, five thousand or less. Um, I I always would say to you is um, I always love looking at vintage, um, but I would say is the modern watch. 
Monaco, um, and I know that I'm probably biased because I've got a uh, I've got a band for Monaco on my wrist. But I think to myself is that it's an iconic watch. Um, I think they've done an amazing design on it, and I just think that it's coming up to its uh, 50th anniversary. Um, and I think that there is something quite hot about them uh, again. Um, and I'm not, and uh, it's never gone out of being hot, but I think because it's a 50th anniversary, I, I think it's one of those things, and I'm sure that you would agree, is when anything comes up to its anniversary, it becomes kind of almost something amazing. What about you? Um, I, I, I think the Monaco is a, is a great answer. It's an iconic watch. Um, uh, it might not be everybody's taste. It might not fit everybody's uh, wrist, but when it does, it's really recognised and really cool. And as we were saying earlier, you might want to time something, and it will really help you do that. You never know. Maybe an egg in the morning <laughs> or, or, or something like that. Um, you know, at that price point, I, I think Omega is really you know tremendous value for money. I have a Seamaster personally. I love the aesthetic of it. Love the history of it as well. Yes. And, uh, you know, in, in this market here in the UK, we love our sport watches and working bezels and so on. And so to me, they're probably the Seamaster, and it's maybe more of a broad application, but uh, Monaco Seamaster, there's a lot of choice. And I, I think the heritage ones and the vintage-inspired ones have been amazing because it's kind of given you that cool factor of owning a, an older watch, but yes. you've got the functionality of the new watch. And I think Omega's done an amazing way of doing that. And, and there's something that when you look at that, even with some of the NATO straps that they've created and some of the kind of, they've they've said that their watch is not uh, not restricted by what it's designed by. It's it's kind of restricted by what you'd want to do with it. And I think that's amazing, is, is that's a great thing. And you know, I, I think you're right. I think Omega's got a very, very cool factor about yep. it. That's also um, not the Seamaster, the Speedmaster, I think, is coming up to its anniversary yes. next year as well. So I think it's going to be kind of a killer year next year where we're going to see some really big things happening. And you know, another big thing that's happening in Omega next year is a new Bond movie. Uh, yes, so I can't wait. I, I, I think I am a Bond freak, so it's kind of yep. one of those things. And the, the, the watch was quite prominent the last yeah. time round with the Spectre. I happened to have one uh, of it, uh, and they were limited edition. But uh, uh, but we'll see what the what Omega do next year. The other question we had was what we would uh, what you would recommend as you know the first time uh, Rolex watch. Uh, I, I would say when I look at watches, uh, I I always go vintage first. I, I, I don't know, because I think they're always forgiving because they've always got dents in them, they've always got... Um, and I think, you know, there's there's some great guys, um, uh, you know, over in the States, there's one amazing guy that I, I, I actually buy quite a lot from, so I shouldn't admit, but... Uh, um, and I just think to myself, is something like that is, is a great... Uh, because it's already aged. Um, I think on any vintage watch, that's always a good thing of looking at that just to get your toe in the door because when you look at the next purchase it's always you you're wanting something perfect perfect but the first one i always think i want to kind of understand it um that's that would be my 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 side of, of looking yep. at it um and i always think um the internet's a very good place but i also would say is that there's some amazing people i don't know if i'm going to reference them but uh, well analog shift i think is, is some good guys and i think there's some other great guys out there um that have some really good vintage watches yeah i, mean, I think vintage is a great call and and pre-owned and rolex yeah. that are 
they're pretty much indestructible watches so by, by definition you're, you're going to be getting great value for money uh, in terms of new rolex you know first ones to look at uh, you know i i would say if you if you're looking for an elegant more classic watch the oyster perpetual the plain steel or a, or a or a date just um or something a lot more sporty and, and cooler maybe the air king i think the air king's tremendous uh, you know value for money uh less than five thousand and um you know gonna got we we're talking earlier about pops of uh, yeah. of color and twists it's got the green and the yellow and the black dial you know i think adds makes it very contemporary but so much to uh, to choose from, uh, uh, really, and uh, one of the great pleasures of life is buying your first Rolex for sure. Well, I always think on watches as the the debate and the time that you take, and sometimes it's that instant gratification, and sometimes it's you spend hours looking at it or days looking at it. Um, you know, I remember um, one or two watches, and when I went to flea markets, of how you know you'd come back and you'd go, "Oh my God, it had this blue, or it had this orange, or it had this," and you would. And this was before the internet was kind of major, or there was places like Hood Inky and a, a blog to watch where you you were like, oh my, I want to have knowledge, and I think that's the great thing is building that knowledge. And as you said, um, when people come into the store, they've already built a, a great bank of knowledge to then come in. And I, I never did, so that was where I, I always was on a voyage of discovery, and you almost got that instant gratification, but also you're wanting to say. Tomorrow, will I still dream of that watch? If I had on my wrist, would I be happy? Would I, if if I if if the price goes down or the price goes up, it doesn't matter. I've got it on my wrist because I love it, and I think that's the cool thing about any watch that you buy. No, absolutely, and I think you demonstrate perfectly how uh, how you can be just um, sucked into this wonderful world of watches, <laughs> and, uh, and and I think you describe uh, perfectly how you can really be. Uh, sucked into this wonderful world of watches and before you do you've got to make sure you've got a budget because it's a it's a lifetime of oh, uh, yes. of, of complete pleasure and desire that, that that comes with a with a given amount of money but it's a it's something that listening to you very very clearly you can really enjoy and appreciate um it's been really really interesting uh, talking to you george you're you're very very uh, well known in the world of watches and and listening to you here it's a, it's very very clear uh, why so we're delighted that you could come in and chat with us, and uh, thank you very much. Well, it's been a treat. Thank you so much. And, uh, wow, it's been an honour. Our pleasure, and uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, for listening in. And uh, we hope uh, you'll join us again in our, our future podcasts. Thank you. We'd love your thoughts on today's subject, so please do subscribe and feedback on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for joining us.